This episode of Prem Brulee is sponsored by The Vintage Wave, an online boutique sports apparel store with throwbacks and unique one-of-a-kind vintage goods. From new Mitchell and Ness looks to classic Nike and Adidas looks, The Vintage Wave has everything a sports or fashion fan could need. Visit them online at thevintagewave.com. You're listening to a Holyfield podcast. Oh boy, here we go. The number one podcast in your headphones, Prem Brulee. This one's going to be an angry one, so if you love hearing me rant, this episode is surely for you. It should be an entertaining one, so without further ado, yeah, fam or nah, you know how we lead it off. The NFL headline of the week, which I decided was the rich get richer. We only have one division so far that's out of hand, which is obviously the NFC West with the undefeated Rams, who are now 7-0. and Um the second place team in the NFC West is the Seahawks at three and three, and there's two teams at one and six. So, um, probably the most out of hand, the only one out of hand out of any of the eight divisions. Every other division is either within one loss or one win. Um, first place that is. Uh, the Browns had another overtime game. I believe they're one away from the record in a season. They ended up losing 26 to 23 after a 59-yard field goal, and unlucky for them, that 59-yard field goal came after that Bucks kicker had already missed easier ones and happened to make a, a long-ass one. And of course, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, who were in the AFC Championship last year, are still struggling. They lost a key division game to the Texans, gave up another 20 points. Their defense did. Um, while only putting up seven, Blake Bortles got benched in the third quarter, so uh, not looking great for them, especially with all the talent they have on their roster. Uh, they recently traded for Carlos Hyde, so um, maybe that'll help stop the gap while Leonard Fournette gets back from injury. Um, overall, I'm a nod of this. It was kind of a boring week, the NFL, and... It isn't helped by something I'll talk about later, of course, my own team. But um, I'm a nod of this week. It was kind of a snooze fest. Uh, nothing too crazy or out of whack. Solid week, but I need more. So I'm a nod of this one. Uh, there's still headlines that catch my attention. I'm still watching, but compared to some other weeks, it, it didn't really cut it. All right, before I get going into the rants, full on into the rants. I uh, wanted to cover a little bit of NBA. And of course, the news of the NBA in the first week was the Rockets and Lakers brawl, so so to call it, at the beginning of the season, about two or three games in. Um, apparently, Rajon Rondo appeared to spit on Chris Paul. Then Chris Paul proceeded to put a finger in Rondo's face. Punches flew, and then uh, Brandon Ingram, who seemed to be in his feels, came in hot, throwing punches after he had already shoved James Harden after um, a foul call had been made on a fast break. Uh, The suspensions when the dust cleared were four games for Brandon Ingram, three games for Rajon Rondo, and two games for Chris Paul. I shouldn't be a Yafam for this one because it seemed so uncivilized and it was kind of ridiculous, but I'm all for it. Yeah, fam. Grab those headlines, NBA. In the midst of football, you're grabbing some headlines because of a brawl this early in the season. And talk about awkward for LeBron James. I mean, he's got his friends, Chris Paul and Carmelo on one side, and then his new teammates on the other. How did, what side does he pick? He's got to go with his teammates, but dude can't be spitting. 
You can't be spitting on anyone. Forget grown men, grown women, children, whoever. You can't be spitting on people. So I'm a yeah fam to the brawl itself because it catches everyone's attention this early in the season, but um, definitely a nod of spitting. So Rajon Rondo, if that was true, that's not really cool. And since then, Rajon Rondo's doubled down and called Chris Paul a bad teammate and a former teammate of Rondo's, Glenn Big Baby Davis, backed up Rondo, who's Davis had been a teammate of Rondo and Paul and said Chris Paul wasn't a great teammate. So this is getting personal now, personal now. And I I like the little feud to start the season. It spices things up. I mean, we have to last till June, the NBA final. So if you're catching headlines in October, go for it, NBA. Okay. The other news that recently broke and unfortunately it's close to my heart is Raiders wide receiver, former Raiders wide receiver now, Amari Cooper was traded from Oakland to Dallas in exchange for a first-round pick in 2019. The Oakland Raiders now have three first-round picks heading into the next draft. Uh, They are clearly in a complete rebuild after having traded away uh, Khalil Mack earlier in the season to the Bears and now Amari Cooper. The Cowboys gave up at the very least a mid-first rounder for Amari Cooper, who uh, is under a rookie salary right now, but is due to be paid nearly $14 million soon. Uh, this is all while the Cowboys are still in a bad cap situation while having Dak Prescott being paid on a rookie late-round Salary, which is 700000 and Zeke's still on his rookie contract. The Cowboys wound up with Cooper, who hasn't had a lot of production, so to, to put it lightly. Um, yeah, fam or not of this one, I think you know which way I'm going. I'm a huge nod of this move. I don't get it. It screams desperate. And the Cowboys are spending a first-round pick to realize what we all know that their problem isn't with a star receiver or which star receiver they have. Their problem is with the quarterback who can't get the ball to the star receiver, and that's Dak Prescott. If you couldn't get the ball to Des Bryant, why spend a first-round pick to realize the same thing with a new receiver? Not to mention, this new receiver, Mark Cooper, has not that much more production than Des Bryant. And right now, Des Bryant's fucking unemployed. Amari Cooper has such little stats that... Des Bryant's not too far from having the same stats as him. And the same Des Bryant was willing to take a pay cut and wasn't even offered one. And now the Cowboys are paying Des Bryant not to be there while they got an Amari Cooper who hasn't proven himself since making the Pro Bowl in his first two years. He's had a rough couple years of a go of it under Derek Carr as his quarterback. So I'm... I couldn't even be more of a not. Of course, we all know if Mari Cooper balls out, it negates the perceived value of this trade because the Cowboys would be trading a first-round pick, which has a level of mystery to it, to getting someone who uh, they know is a proven commodity. The problem is Amari Cooper hasn't been consistent enough to be proven. So right now you're giving up the chance at a very valuable asset on a rookie wage scale for Amari Cooper, who is most definitely going to demand some money coming up here soon. So nothing about this makes sense, except for the fact that Jerry Jones is desperate, and except for the fact that Jerry Jones has made deals like this for veteran wide receivers before, and how's that worked out for him? Uh, See Joey Galloway 
in the late 90s, and Roy Williams. Yes, that Roy Williams, the tall veteran wide receiver that the Cowboys gave up their future for and didn't live up to. More bad news for Cowboys fans. Not only is there not a track record of great wide receiver trades and that they pulled another one, but they gave up a first-round pick and potential future for it. It's unbelievable to me to be a fan of a team whose owner is also the GM and continually makes stupid moves. It is infuriating, and I just want to know what it's like one day to feel like the front office has a handle of what they're doing, because I sure have never felt that in my entire fanhood, and it is goddamn ridiculous. I hate this move right now. I hope I'm wrong. I hope we're all wrong. But right now, after John Gruden made a shitty trade, getting rid of Khalil Mack, he somehow looks like a genius for getting rid of Amari Cooper for a first-round pick, not to mention... There is a wide receiver now in New England, Josh Gordon, who only was worth a fifth-round pick but has more production than Amari Cooper. I just don't fucking get this. I don't get it, but Jerry Jones finds new ways to just piss fans off, and there's never a dull moment. I wish there were. I wish it was even keel, but no, we have to suffer through this crap. On we go. Okay, last yeah, fam or nah, is about the World Series. Of course, we now have our matchup set as the World Series begins. It is the Dodgers and Red Sox facing off to um, win it all. The Dodgers defeated the Brewers in seven games. Uh, Meanwhile, the Red Sox defeated the Astros in uh, five games. Okay, so I couldn't be a bigger Nah fan. I mean, I'll save my analysis for like, you you know what? Let's run this right into Like You Know, Like You Hate It. This is a new one for me. No transition. Like You Know, Like You Hate It. The World Series one has me fired up. So I'm a not fam first of all, but let me break this down for you. Hate it to fucking game four of the ALCS. Fuck Joe West. Fuck that baseball version of Gene Steratore. He always has to make a game about him. Of course... Just to backtrack a little, we had a controversial fan interference call in the first inning of game, the Game 4 of the ALCS. We all know by now, Jose Altuve hit what looked like a two-run home run. Mookie Betts reached over the home run boundary, n- note I said reached over, to rob a home run. A fan, natural, to try to catch a ball coming at their body, puts out their hands trying to catch not over the boundary they put out their hands to try to get a souvenir home run ball joe west on the field calls fan interference which we all know is an out they review it and still fucking uphold joe west call what the hell is the point of replay if you can't get the call right We have to stop this conclusive evidence bullshit in order to overturn a call the goal should be to get the call right Period. That's it. The call should be right on the field. Replays are there to help the umpires make the right call that they might have missed. This was not the right call. The rulebook prevents fans from reaching over the boundary. Betts was the one going into the crowd. His risk. He assumes the danger at that point. We can't operate on whether he would have made the catch just because he's athletic. We have to go on what we see with our eyes. And the fact is, that ball was fucking over the boundary and would have changed the whole scope of the series. This is game four of the ALCS, just two to one Boston. And that sets off a chain of events that fucks the Astros. 
The Astros went on to lose that game four by, you guessed it, two runs. Maybe that two-run homer at the beginning of the game could have helped them. And not only that, maybe that home run at the beginning of the game could have totally changed the tide of everything else that happened, a butterfly effect, and they start dominating. Another thing. I hate that bullshit coach speak where they tell us there's plenty more game to play. Who gives a flying fuck about that? The Astros lost by two runs. That home run completely changes the trajectory of the game, and you totally change the scope of their entire series. Because what do you know? In Game 5, magically, David Price learns how to fucking pitch in the playoffs and dominates for the first time ever. And then Craig Kimbrell magically finds a way to not give up multiple runs in every appearance he's had. And somehow the one scoreless time he has is after this change of momentum by the MLB Joe West. I'm sorry, the Boston Red Sox. The MLB could have made it a little less obvious that they wanted the Boston Red Sox in the World Series, at least. And... I seem to recall there was a picture of the Boston Red Sox celebrating their trip to the World Series. I must have missed it, but I didn't see Joe West pictured in the in the snap of it. Because it's only right that he be featured in it. Congrats in advance to whoever wins this dumbass World Series that I won't be watching. Hate it, hate it, hate it. And if you realize this might be the first time ever, I don't have anything positive to say. Because this has been a shit sports week, and I need y'all to hear about it. Okay, you knew this was coming. Hate it. To my Buckeyes going down to Purdue, 49-20. to It's the second straight goddamn year of a heavily favored away night game turning into an ass-whooping. How did every single one of us fans know it was a trap game, except for the staff and the players? So, of course, we all saw the nice story about Tyler Trent. It made it easier to swallow as a Buckeye fan, seeing that kid predict they were going to win in it coming to fruition but would I have preferred that that strong young man had predicted beating a different team hell yeah did I know we were doomed after seeing that story and already being worried about the trap game also hell yeah hate it to the Buckeyes effort hate it to their lack of run game and I hate it to being exposed and not fixing the problem sooner also what is it with Our coach, Urban Meyer, having this love affair with these slow-ass linebackers grading them out as champions when they look slow as shit to everyone but them. Do they have some kind of goggles on that make these linebackers seem faster than they are? And what the hell is with the secondary? We need to get rid... Jeffrey Okuda switched from number 29 to 1. I think you have to earn those single-digit jersey numbers. We need to hand them number 48 and 37 so that teams actually know they're not good at coverage, maybe. They don't deserve those numbers. It was an all-around shit effort. Yes, big numbers from Dwayne Haskins, but none of that matters at this point. The Buckeyes head out of this week totally disappointing. Nothing to show for that effort. Not even a close upset loss. It was an ass-whooping like last year's ass-whooping at Iowa was. And the other one that was obvious, hate it. The Cowboys losing again on the road. They're now 3-0 at home and 0-4 on the road. But this time it was on a stupid-ass snap infraction penalty on the long snapper, who, by the way, is the most tenured cowboy on their team. His name's LP LaDucer, who just rotated the ball, did not pick up the ball. That rotation evidently made a defense alignment bowl over one of the blockers on a field goal. So instead of the correct call offsides for the guy coming into the neutral zone, 
and changing a 47-yard field goal attempt to a 42-yarder, they somehow called it on the snapper for rotating the ball, who he claimed, which he claims he does every single time he snaps it. He's been snapping for 15 years. He rotates the ball. The refs somehow call a snap infraction on him, leading to a 47-yard field goal attempt turning into a 52-yarder. What do you know? Cowboys kicker Brett Maher then proceeded to clank that 52-yarder yard field goal off the upright. Note the way he clanked it. Probably would have been assisted by another 5 yards and definitely would have been assisted by another 10 yards. He hits that same kick and the Cowboys head into overtime against Washington. That was a cherry on top of a previous drive's holding penalty, negating a play, and then leading to Dak Prescott being stripped of the ball, which led to Washington's game-deciding touchdown. Washington beat Dallas at their own game, controlling the line of scrimmage and letting a mid-30s Adrian Peterson have a better game than a in-his-prime Zeke Elliott. Uh, not only that, the coaching staff of the Dallas Cowboys, led by Jason Garrett, Sir Claps a lot has to be the worst in the league at preparation and halftime adjustments. Been saying it for years, but if something's not working, you better believe there won't be any changes and they'll just hope magically that the opposing team stops stopping them because they're not changing a goddamn thing at halftime. Also, not to mention, speaking of poor coaching, poor clock management on their final drive. The Cowboys had a first down on Washington's 37 with one timeout and 52 seconds left, and somehow only pulled off two plays, a six-yard completion over the middle and a three-yard run, which set up that 47-yard field goal, which later resulted in a bullshit penalty call I already went over, costing the Cowboys a game or a chance at overtime at least, which if they went to overtime, the Cowboys had all the momentum, by the way. So, hate it. Hate it to the Cowboys' effort, and definitely hate it to those goddamn refs. It isn't enough that I still have to think about fucking Gene Steratore and now the Gene Steratore of the MLB, Joe West, making it about him repeatedly. Now I have to worry about a new set of referees as Gene Steratore's retired finally. A new set of referees blows a game for the Cowboys. So I can't escape it. Don't know what I did to the football gods, but evidently they are not thrilled with me. And tying it all together because I love putting a nice little shit bow on a shit sports week. Both the Cowboys and Buckeyes are heading into their bye weeks this weekend, both after crushing losses. So I get to stew in that for one extra week. That's just fantastic news. Instead of having two wins, enjoying a week off, enjoying my time with friends and family, I get to stew on a football loss and not get to see any more of my teams for a whole nother week. Another thing, on that same note, after losses... I hate it when people have this all-of-a-sudden perspective after a loss, like they're enlightened and can't be bummed about their team losing. They tell you you're overreacting about a loss. It's just a game. You shouldn't care this much. Oh, we'll bounce back. I don't need to have the fucking answers, and neither do you. The coaches need to have the answers. Why is Urban Meyer not figuring out that his linebackers suck? Why does he keep saying they're doing well when they're not? They're almost grown men. I think they should be treated that way. The coaches need to figure their shit out. The Cowboys coaches need to figure their shit out. If you are a fan of a losing team, they need to figure their shit out, and you don't need to be rational about it. Why should we have to be rational? We're fans. That's part of being a fan. Don't tell me how to feel. If I want to be pissed off at a team or yell at a TV, who the fuck are you to tell me not to be?
Stop having this all-knowing perspective like I'm supposed to be totally calm and not get used to I'm supposed to get used to losing. Now fuck that. I'm a fan. I can act ridiculous. Don't tell me how to act. Okay. I wanted to recall previous episodes hate it. Last week I had a hate it uh, for a Jalen Ramsey of the Jacksonville Jaguars who all of a sudden acted like he was too big for the press after he got his ass handed to him um, in a 47 loss against the Cowboys last week. Since then, he doubled down and said people applaud Belichick when he acts the same way. Essentially like shrugging off the press and not wanting to answer questions. Who applauds Belichick? It sure isn't me. Other than Patriots fans, who likes that behavior? I don't fucking like the way Bill Belichick and Nick Saban treat the press. They act like they're too big for the press, actually, and I think that's part of their goddamn job description. I fucking hate how they answer answer the press. And my whole point with Jalen Ramsey is, if you're bad with the press to begin with, a la Marshawn Lynch, we're perfectly fine with you not being good with it. But if you're going to talk your shit and use the press as your... As your air horn, your megaphone to amplify whatever the fuck trash talk you're talking, and then all of a sudden when they want to ask you questions about sucking, you become silent, that's bullshit. The other thing, if if you think people are applauding Belichick, I don't know too many people that like what he does, how he barely answers anything unless it seems to be about Lawrence Taylor. I want to hear what the coach has to say, and I don't think that's too much to ask because that is part of his job. That's part of why those coaches get paid millions of dollars. So I don't know what Jalen Ramsey's talking about, Belichick being applauded for acting the same way he did, but I sure as hell am not and know a lot of people that aren't. I am not with the way Belichick and Saban act around the press, and I'm not with the way Ramsey acts after losing. It's a sore-ass loser but wants to talk his shit when he wins. It's very Cam Newton-like. And we shouldn't have to be okay with that when you talk the amount of shit you do. You should be able to eat your humble pie. It's different when you don't talk a lot in wins than you don't – we don't expect you to talk a lot in losses either. But you're yapping, yapping, yapping in a win. We better at least hear some words out of you in a loss. I got everything I needed off my chest. Thank you listeners for indulging me. My blood pressure returns to normal on the rest of this episode, but – Man, in summary, hate it. Hate it to Joe West. Still hate it to Gene Steratore. Fucking Des caught it, and don't you ever forget it. Hate it to the Buckeyes. Hate it to the Cowboys. Hate it to those goddamn NFL referees who called a snap infraction by our long snapper just for rotating a ball, not ever picking it up. Hate it to people who have perspective after a loss so quickly, and hate heading into a bye week after a loss. It's about as great of a summary as I can get you. A lot of hate it. I'll try to be more positive, but there's nothing to be positive about in this sports weekend. Okay, that brings us to Lottie Frickin' Da. Highlight the best of the worst, the impressively unimpressive, those garbage time stats sheet stuffers. And the first one is Mitch Trubisky of the Chicago Bears, who passed for 333 yards on 26 of 50 throwing, had two TDs and two picks. Then added 81 yards rushing and a rushing touchdown. Great stats. The Bears finished one yard short. Trubisky launched a Hail Mary that Kevin White caught. One yard short, just couldn't squeeze into the end zone to try to force the game against the Patriots overtime. But this is one of those where the eye test just didn't match the statistics. 
Trubisky missed a lot of throws, has happy feet, is looking to run before even passing. And when he did look to pass downfield while he was scrambling, forced a lot of throws through through his picks on those ones. So um, Lottie freaking dot of Mitch Trubisky. No one's exempt, but the eye test just didn't match the stat sheet for this one. And this one pains me. I have to be fair, even to my teams. I hate listening, but Dwayne Haskins, quarterback of my Ohio State Buckeyes. This one really hurts. He had a whopping 73 pass attempts, which, by the way, Ohio State, what the fuck are you doing? 73 pass attempts. He completed 49 of those 73 for 470 yards, which breaks a very long record in Ohio State history for passing yards in a game over dirtbag Arch Schleister, who doesn't deserve to be in the record books, so that part is good. Dwayne had two touchdowns and one pick. The pick was for a pick six. But all in all, it was a 49-20 loss. This probably hurts his Heisman chances. The loss more than anything, not necessarily stats. Lottie frickin' da, my dude Dwayne Haskins. I know it's not your fault. He's the reason why the Buckeyes had been undefeated at this point, but no one is exempt, and I have to be fair to my own. All right, should they be worried? My version of a panic, don't panic. Wanted to do an NBA edition because there's some notable teams that are not doing well to start the season. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, who got routed by the Atlanta Hawks, gave up 35 points and 11 assists to Trey Young, rookie Trey Young. The Lakers, under LeBron James, the new, quote, Showtime Lakers, have not done well to start the season. And the Rockets, after adding Carmelo Anthony, are not doing well either. So should they be worried? Obviously, we know they shouldn't, especially not yet. The season's early. People are working out kinks on brand new teams. Um, I think the cream balls are asked to the top. One thing I will say, kind of miss mixing a toasty take. Everyone's riding off the Cavs. I think they have enough veterans and enough skill to at least squeeze into a playoff spot in the East. Everyone's not even putting them in, but um, you just keep your eye out for them. And you know the rules about toasty take. You don't throw that in my face if I'm wrong. And I had to add in the NFL one, uh, the Green Bay Packers. Uh, they are currently 3-2-1, and one, a half game behind uh, the Vikings. They struggled uh, in Monday Night Football last week to beat C.J. Beathard and the 49ers. They required a late-game comeback by Aaron Rodgers. They don't have much of a defense per usual. Can they rely on Rodgers to save them? Um, should they be worried at least for right now, I'm going to say not yet. I think they should not be worried right now, especially with their division still being close. If this still continues, though, um, their chances are getting slimmer and slimmer because the NFC North used to have the Bears be the automatic beat, and they don't even have that. They have four strong teams, and those account for six of the Packers' games total in the season, and those are six tough ones for them. So just from that alone, without having their schedule in front of me, um, they should be worried long-term if this continues, but right this moment, not yet, just because they're still in the hunt, and Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. It pains me to say he's beat my teams before, but um, as long as you have Rodgers, I don't think you worry just yet. Not this early. Okay, on to who you got and what you feeling. A recap of last week. My NFL game of the week was the Saints, the 4-1 Saints, uh, visiting Baltimore, facing the Ravens, who were 4-2. Um, Baltimore was favored by under a field goal. 
relative toss-up, a little home field advantage. Um, They're both either first or tied for first in their divisions. Um, I picked the Saints. They were coming off a bye week, well-rested, and their high-powered offense. Um, The result was that I was correct, but in very dramatic fashion, Justin Tucker, who had never missed an extra point before, missed his first one at an inopportune time. Uh, it led to a 24-23 victory for the Saints, uh, which is absolute heartbreaker. Um, but obviously, Justin Tucker is one of the best in the league. Just uh, out of character, hopefully, for the sake of Ravens fans there. Um, the college football game I picked was the last two undefeated ACC teams. NC State was traveling to Clemson. Uh NC State was number 16, Clemson number 3. Uh, Clemson was vastly favored at home. Um, my head said Clemson, but I said fucking went with my heart in NC State, and I couldn't have been more wrong. Uh, Clemson routed the Wolfpack 41-7. to There's no chance for NC State. And um, it's looking like Clemson's path to the college football playoffs is pretty nice, especially with the weak ACC. Uh, they really should cruise right into it as an undefeated team. And previously... I had uh, made a pick for who would make the World Series. And my pick, even though I didn't want to, it was an attempt at a reverse jinx. It didn't didn't end up panning out, and that's probably because of Joe West, so fuck him. Um, but anyway, my pick was Brewers versus Red Sox. I was one game away from that being exactly correct. Uh, the Brewers did, face a game, did force a Game 7 with the Dodgers, but ultimately um, the World Series is Dodgers versus Red Sox. We know that. And, um, so fell just short of that mark, but who am I kidding? I was really rooting for the Astros and, uh, they got job. There's no other way to put it. Yeah. I'm still hating. You already know by now, I'm King of Petty, Tom Petty season all the way. So yeah, they got job. Okay. And this week it kept it simple after my blood pressure returns to normal. I just made a pick of the week for college football and pro football and this week in the NFL, I wanted to cover the 3-4 and four Eagles heading to Jacksonville to face the 3-4 and four Jaguars. Um, they are both coming off of dif- disappointing starts following successful last seasons. Uh, of course, the Eagles, Super Bowl champs, and the Jaguars made the AFC Championship. Uh, the Eagles are a field goal favorite as the visiting team. Um, the Jags, of course, have given up 90 points in the last three games. I'm going to go with the Eagles. I think the Eagles have lost some close games and kind of given up some fourth quarter leads, but they still seem to be getting back into rhythm, and um, I just think they're a little bit more motivated. The Jags have been an absolute mess on offense. Blake Bortles is going to be starting, even though he got benched midway through the game for Cody Kessler last week. Um, He's reportedly going to be on a short leash. I just don't think they have the recipe on offense. They've had bad luck with injuries at running back. Um they don't have a potent wide receiver core, so I think Jacksonville is in for a struggle on offense, and they're going to have to do something about that quarterback situation, it looks like. So I'm going with the Eagles in a close game, um, but yeah, just my gut here. And for my college football pick, number nine, Florida, who's 6-1, and 4-1 and one in the SEC, is going to be playing number seven, Georgia, who's 6-1 and 4-1 and four and one in their conference just like Florida's, is a neutral site game in Jacksonville. Uh, Georgia is favored. This could dis- very very much decide the SEC East and who represents the East in the SEC Championship. Um, 
right now there's a three-way tie atop the SEC East. Uh, of course, Florida and Georgia are two of them, and the third is Kentucky. Um, I'm going with Georgia. I think they win this one and set up a battle for the SEC East, which happens to be next week, against Kentucky. Of course, Kentucky has a tough game of their own uh, visiting Mizzou, but um, I think ultimately those two teams will win and set up essentially what will be the SEC East title next week, Georgia versus Kentucky. Stop me if you've ever heard that one before. Kentucky, this is not basketball either. Um, Of course, if Florida wins, they'll need help. They already lost head-to-head to to Kentucky, so they would need Kentucky to lose again. Um, So yeah, for the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, I know it's not called that anymore, but I'm sure fans still call it that. I'm going to go Georgia um, to win this ballgame, this neutral site game, and kind of get back on track in the SEC. I figured it was wise, even though I'm hating on the World Series, to pick who I think is going to win the World Series between the Red Sox and Dodgers. I really don't care about this because the Astros should be in here, and so go Strohs. But anyway, I think the Red Sox have too good of a team. They have so much offense and athletic people on defense. Um, So I think the Red Sox win this one in six games over the Dodgers. Just on a whim, I think that it's going that way. Okay, and as for what I'm feeling, definitely – Tis the season for Oscar movies coming up for me and the missus. Um, and she and I went and saw Stars Born. Couldn't recommend it more. This will be an Oscar favorite. Mark it down. Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga for their acting. And the movie itself should be a nominee for Best Picture. It is fantastic work by the two of them. Lady Gaga, first time acting. Bradley Cooper, first time directing. Um, the soundtrack is also incredible. This is coming from not a fan of the type of music that they are playing. It is great. And um, in addition to that, I got to see some close friends I haven't seen forever. So shout out to them. And um, figured I'd try to end on a positive note, uh, a little bit happier. You know, my too much sense, the advice you didn't think you needed. Um, And this is related to what I was feeling. It comes from A a Star is Born. It is a quote by Dave Chappelle's character. The character's name is Noodles. Quote, you know, it's like, I don't know, you... You float out, float out at sea. Then one day you find a port and say, I'm going to stay here for a few days. A few days comes a few years. Then you forgot where you were going in the first place. Then you realize you don't really give a shit about where you were going because you like where you're at. End quote. Enjoy where you're at, people. Sometimes the journey is just worth it. I don't think we're ever happy and content being where we're at because we grow so accustomed to seeing what else is out there. What are you even planning for if you haven't enjoyed the steps that will get you to the completion of that plan? This quote really resonated with me. I was sitting with my wife, and she knew as soon as we heard the line, because she squeezed my hand looked right at me, that this couldn't exemplify me more. Love love the journey. Love where, the, where my life is at right now, and I don't ever want to take it for granted. So that's my too much sense for this week. Stop worrying about what's ahead and... Sometimes, you know, take time to smell the roses here because you might regret focusing on the end game if you didn't get to enjoy the steps that got you there. All right, that's going to end this very angry episode of Prem Brulee, the number one podcast in your headphones. Don't ever get it twisted. Appreciate you listeners out there. Appreciate all the support. Please listen, subscribe, share. 
bring in some more listeners for us. And check us out. The website is live at Holyfield. Check out all the other Holyfield podcasts. And uh, we'll talk to you next episode of Prem Brulee, the number one podcast in your headphones.